On today's episode, I sit with Brian Vickers. Brian has held various roles within the music industry, and he currently works at Disney as a music supervisor. Brian shares his unique path breaking into entertainment, along with some incredibly great tips on how to get your music placed. Let's hop right in. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, we're just chilling tomorrow, enjoy. Is she your first child? Yep. I suppose it's a bit of a blessing in disguise then that you've been able to work from home. Oh, it's been great. Because um, technically, I took my paternity leave from work in March. It was the week of my birthday, which was March, the week of March 16th, because my birthday is on the 18th. And then um, I did, uh, what, eight weeks? And so I came back in the middle of the quarantine. And literally, right as I was coming back, they were furloughing everyone. But uh, it kind of worked out in our department where uh, my coworker, because there are two of us as music supervisors, he uh, had to <laughs> he had to uh, get emergency surgery. So really? they were like, hey, man, do you want to come back? And I'm like, that's crazy because my, my paternity time just ended this week. So, yeah, it, I, I, it was fortunate. I'm just grateful the way it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> like man god is real <laughs> that, was, that was cool so it worked out yeah so so that's that's nice and do you guys have a set time for like starting to come back into work or still everything's up in the air up in the air um i know companies are are toying around with it but i know for what we do since we really have to be in close spaces and you know working with editors and everything um it's a little more uncertain so we, we, we don't know. It just depends. So we'll see. <laughs> Let's get into it then. Okay. Cool. It'll be very exciting to hear from you a little bit more of the licensing side, what it's like to be a music supervisor. I think a lot of people don't even know really what that is. Yeah, really. Just thanks so much for being here and cool. So I, I was thinking that we would start off, you know, you could tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of very high level, and then we'll go into what a regular day is like for you at Disney and like what, what a music supervisor sort of does. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, my name is Brian Vickers. Uh, I am originally from, from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, born and raised. Uh, I grew up there and my parents got me into music very early. They got me into music around like five, four or five or something um, because I grew up in church. So a lot of kids usually would end up in like that, that choir as kind of a, you know, it's like a pipeline, like, yeah, hey, you get in the choir because that's what kids do. So uh, I got in early, but I always kind of loved music, even in school. My favorite class was music. Um, so eventually my parents would put me in different choirs, like the boy choir style in Birmingham. Uh, it was a choir called the Birmingham Boys Choir. I did that from about third grade to about eighth grade. Uh, and that's kind of where I got early formal training in music. You know, you're learning theory early and you're learning all this choral music. You're learning, you know, your Bach, your Beethoven, you know, all of that kind of stuff, spirituals as well. So um, I did all of that. And the director of that choir also directed 
the high school choir that I ended up going to. Um, and when I got to high school, that uh, choir also had, it was a touring choir, award-winning choir and everything. So instead of me doing like the early, you know, hey, welcome to music, kids. Instead of me doing one of those classes, I literally was a freshman in the choir with the juniors and seniors. Right. So which you was cool. But I had there. Yeah. 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 In doing all of that, it literally gave me early exposure to just traveling different places. And, you know, when I was in the boys choir, the first trip we took was to Canada. So we went to Montreal, went to Quebec, a um, couple places. Uh, when I got to high school, we went to like, I think Charleston, we went to San Antonio. Um, oh, boys choir. The biggest trip that we took was, uh, was England. Went to oh, England, wow. England, Scotland, and Wales, and I was in like the eighth grade. So that was that was crazy. It was weird to be from Birmingham, Alabama, to travel to Birmingham, England. You know, so that was that was trippy. But uh, I mentioned all of that because yeah, I got early music exposure. So by the time I got to college, it was like a no brainer. Like I know I'm gonna do music. Uh, I went to Howard University, uh, majored in vocal performance with jazz studies. Uh, that was incredible. <laughs> it, I loved I loved college a lot. After I got my bachelor's, I went to a school down in Florida called Full Sail University. So I got my associates in recording arts. And the reason that happened is because I had known so much for so long about the the, the creative side of music, you know, the sharps, the flats, you know, crescendo, they crescendo, you know, all of that jazz. And then I wanted to switch it to learn the technical side. Right. Um, how do you run a studio? What is a compressor? What's a limiter? What is gain? What is signal flow? You know, what mics do what? So I wanted to try to combine those things. Um, Cause my goal honestly was to become a producer. Um, it still kind of is like, I still kind of do that in a way, but uh, after school, I moved out here to LA, uh, Los Angeles in 2008 uh, right before the recession. So that was exciting. Uh, it was hard to find gigs, man. It was hard to find gigs for everybody, but, uh, full sale, uh, fortunately full sale, uh, reached out to me and was like, Hey man, we know, you know, you're out there. Here's some things happening in your area if you're interested. And so I ended up working at a TV production company, um, called Buna Murray. That was amazing. Um, I worked there for four years. I started out as an intern and worked my way up to a music coordinator. And eventually I ended up getting a music supervisor credit, which was awesome. I left there and ended up uh, working at a music library for a while, a company called BMG Production Music. Um, I was there temporarily, I mean, like months when I was just trying to figure out what the next move is. And eventually I ended up at a company, uh, a trailer house called Trailer Park. Uh, it's one of the largest, uh, most prolific trailer houses in Hollywood. I was there for a couple of years and eventually I ended up here, uh, well, where I currently am, uh, which is uh, Disney. I work for Disney's in-house trailer team called The Hive. And I work as a music supervisor. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It sounds like, you know, you come from a musical family or at least a family that wanted you to get involved in music at a very young age, right? Yeah, 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 man. My mom, uh, she grew up singing as well. Like, you know, not like, you know, having a career or anything, but just like, that's what the kids did. They all kind of sung, you know, and she sung a lot in church. She kind of is known for her voice a little bit in 
a sense that people have actually said to her that she has like a singing voice, even when she's talking. So she did that. My dad was in high school band. So he's the type that like always reminds you, you know, oh yeah, you know, I remember we used to play this when I was in high school and da, 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 he played drums. But because of him, that's how I got into jazz in the first place because he was the one to get me into jazz and my mom was the one to get me into gospel. So, yeah. It's a very good blend to have, especially it's fun. your mom sings, your dad's a musician, he plays drums. I guess you grew up with a drum set in the house then, right? Oh, man, we did. And it's so funny because being older, I laugh at that now. Like, man, would I be crazy enough to get my kid drums? Because like, I would just be down there wailing on them. And man, when you are, when you're a kid, the goal is loudness. How loud? <laughs> you just go nuts. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we had one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool just to be able to get that. And honestly, to learn that kind of rhythm early and to play with that rhythm because another kind of random anecdote, like I know it was the same way with me growing up. I think you become kind of the cool kid if you can keep the beat while like, cause I was in high school when, or I was in elementary school when, you know, golden era of hip hop. So we will all just come to the, you know, lunch table beating with pencils and everything, you know, everybody trying to do their little freestyle. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that was the thing. So you had a little bit of extra practice on a real set. Uh, sure. I mean, you're, you're trying to teach yourself, you know, and God bless my mom. She was all supportive, like, oh, yeah, you sound good. My dad was like, bruh, <laughs> like he would be glad that I would be into it because it's just something about getting on a set and just kind of getting your ideas out. And then eventually, like the kids, they get really good. Hey, they get, they get training. And if they don't get training, they watch all the greats and they know drummers and they see the nuance. Like the better you learn the nuance, the better you're gonna be. So. Right. I never got training, but I made it far enough to be the starting drummer in the jazz band in high school, which was a big accomplishment considering That's I didn't good. even have a drum set. That's good, man. Yeah. Like my wife, I think did, uh, she's, my wife is a musician as well and she did jazz band as well. So yeah, I, looking back, part of me wishes that I had done that for a little bit, you know, never too late. You've got a drum set back at home in Birmingham, Alabama that's collecting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, if, if I would bring any instrument from home, a friend of my dad's uh, ended up giving me uh, a Rhodes. I mean, uh, a really sick suitcase Rhodes. Yeah. And I am trying to get that thing out here with the quickness because it needs to get fixed. But there's a guy out here who fixes them and it sounds amazing. Uh, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to see how we can get that out of here. Yeah. Um, so as a music supervisor, what is your responsibility? Yeah, man. Um, music supervision, it's an amazing feel. Uh, it really is. Uh, it's also often misunderstood a little bit, uh, a little bit misinterpreted, but uh, your job as a music supervisor is to oversee all of the musical happenings of a project, whether that's a film, a TV show, um, a streaming show, uh, or whatever, whatever project it may be. Your goal is to not only handle the creative, like what 
what song goes in this scene, what song fits for this scene, but also, you know, the background music or those source elements like, oh, there's a radio in the background. What song is that radio playing or what's happening there? And also the budgetary things like, okay, we, the director wants to use this large song. All right, let's get that in there. What's our budget after that? Okay, how can we find some songs to accommodate the music budget? which I think is a very important part of the process because I think everyone thinks like, ah, oh, yeah, man, let's just get, you know, I just, I want to use Sting. I want to use the Beatles. I want to use, you know, the who. No, you have to be very cognizant of your budget. And also uh, I think a thing that also gets uh, lost in the sauce is um, you have to account for all the music that you're, that you're using by doing uh, cue sheets. Cue sheets are a super important part of the process because it lets us know what songs appear where. It's like the music script. It lets us know what songs are appearing where in whatever the project is, how long it's being used, because that way um, when the project is done, it can then be submitted to PROs to, you know, so that people get paid and it can be submitted to, you know, all of the, the parties that are responsible for licensing if one is not doing the licensing as well. Um, supervision goes hand in hand, of course, with music licensing. Licensing, in, in short, is really just getting the permission to use the song in a project. Um, that's the bare bones of it. That often means making sure that you find all of the, the parties that are responsible for a song. Sometimes a song has you know, one writer, one writer and one publisher. Yay, good for you. And sometimes a song may have a lot more. Uh, it can have up to 10, in some cases, 15 writers and maybe just as many publishers. So your job is to get in touch with all of those individuals to let them know, hey, everybody, we're using your song for this thing. Is that cool? Yes, that's cool. All right. Here's, you know, how much this is, you know, and then you, you discuss your, your rates and, uh, and you have you to get everybody's buy-in. Um, like, like let's say yeah. a song has, has eight, eight songwriters and four mm -hmm. publishers. Yep. You need to get everybody's buy-in. You have to get everyone on the same page. Yeah. If one entity says, you know what, we're not cool with it. The whole thing falls apart. <laughs> yeah, man, it's tough. Yeah. Okay. It happens you, regularly. You mentioned you mentioned publishers. Now, mm -hmm. for our audience that are not familiar with publishers, how would you describe mm -hmm. the role of a publisher? A publisher is basically uh, an entity that keeps the catalog of music. You know, like if an artist has all of these songs, they're responsible for collecting that catalog of the songs. You know what I mean? Like they, uh, in, a, in a number of instances, it's their job to, uh, to just kind of be a housing place for these songs. So if I go to... Uh, if I go look for a certain song, sometimes I know I'm likely not going to get in touch with the artists themselves or the songwriters themselves, but they're responsible for keeping, oh, you know, we have all of these songs together collected for these individuals. So mm -hmm. hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> all right. That's a good analogy. Something to think about that they're, they're the ones who catalog and, mm -hmm. and maintain it. Yeah. Before we chat about, you know, what you're doing now, let's talk a little bit about how you got in, into music. 
I'd say professionally in the first place. You said after high school, you went to Howard University, right? Right. Which Howard University, from my understanding, it's, it's in DC and it's a mm-hmm. predominantly and historically, it's like a black university, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot yeah. of great performers to come out of there. Including, Certainly. I think P. Diddy even went there, right? Diddy did go there. Yep. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, yeah, there were, there were a lot of big names to come out of there. Um, I know for me, the list that I always go to, especially for music and entertainment um, that are kind of on my Mount Rushmore is, uh, of course, Diddy and Donny Hathaway and Roberta Flack. I would say two of the more important soul singers, you know, in the genre, you know, granted, they're not the only ones like there have been a ton of other acts to come and go through there. And we've had some pretty major teachers as well. One of my teachers, uh, his name was uh, Professor Grady Tate. He played drums for, I think, Sarah Vaughn and like all of these amazing, amazing high level uh, jazz musicians. Uh, We had another professor up there who uh, I literally when people make the joke like, oh, this person's a genius. That dude is literally a genius like he operates on a genius level. What does that mean? Well, for one, in my four years there. Anytime he had to sit down and accompany students to help play a song, I really think in the four years there, there were only three songs that he didn't know. Like he knew just about every single song and every single key, literally the most gifted piano player I've ever seen in my life. Um, And then if you hear his story, it's almost like something that deserves to be in a book. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I play and I'm a a international chess master and I used to be a weightlifter. Uh, Like he, he would say stuff and you're like, you don't believe it until he shows you. Right. He would just drop so, a little bit of knowledge and then it's insane. Yeah. Like he, he told us a story one time where there's this very uh, amazing jazz organist named Jimmy Smith, uh, who is literally, I would say, one of the most famous jazz organists in music. And I think he saw my professor walk in a gig one time and got upset because he knows that this is the guy like he can he can show you up that night. So, but that was just his, that's that guy, you know, Howard's a special place for, for cultivating music talent. So, yeah. It sounds like it's a phenomenal university. I know that it has a, has a really great reputation. Mm -hmm. Uh, While you were, you were studying uh, vocal performance and jazz there, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, While you were doing that, did you do any work during the semesters or work during the summer to get some practical experience? Oh man, I did. Uh, I know for most of the performance majors, uh, the idea is perform, perform, perform. Mm-hmm. And, and I, of course, I, I knew you know, that that made sense. Just mm-hmm. to be super clear, I, I meant practical in the sense that, because I know that you're probably playing all the time, right? Should be. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing, I was playing video games a lot. But yeah, <laughs> right. The idea was to to do that, was to perform as much as you can. But my my mentality was, okay, performing is great, but you need to have something to accent that as well. So uh, my sophomore year, I ended up getting an internship with a company uh, called Hidden Beach Recordings. Um, and they, uh, I had gotten familiar with them because at the time one of their largest, their biggest artists was one of my favorite artists. Cause that was my goal. Like reach out to any label that you like, or you like their artists and see if they have an internship. 
And so their biggest artist at the time was an artist named Jill Scott, who is still an amazing artist. So I reached out to them and I was working an internship on campus as like the campus intern. So I had done that for a while. But Hidden I, Beach wasn't on campus, right? They, they were no. Hidden Beach was, yeah, Hidden Beach was based here in L.A., they would say, this show is coming up in your area. We need you to go and pass out materials, pass out CDs. And I would learn so much about marketing um, while being a music major that that all would be used later in life as it is now. Cause I, I look, I work with artists and now I'm saying a lot of the same stuff, like learning what music works and what market, what does that mean? Um, how to present yourself as an artist and, you know, all of these kind of things. I work with them. I was working with uh, the DC chapter of uh, the Recording Academy for a while. Um, and just a number of whatever internship I could get my hands on so that when I got out, I could accent my um, performance understanding with some level of, of business acumen as well. So did you get to go to the Hidden Beach any hidden beach artist that would come through DC. I presume you got to go to the show. Yeah, as well, right? I, I did. And it was amazing. I was so glad for that. Like um, I did get to see Jill. I think I saw her once when she came, which was great. Um, I saw another band that I had been familiar with the band called uh, uh, Kendrick, the family soul who amazing act out of Philly. And the cool part about them is when they found out that I was there, I ended up talking to the manager like, Hey man, I'm here. If you guys need anything. And I ended up getting to meet them, help them with their, like the artist meet and greet. So it was, it felt like you're really a part of the team. Right. Even while being, and I had never been to the office. I hadn't met half of the other interns that were all over the nation. And eventually we did, uh, an intern, um, reunion like years and years later. And I'm like, oh yeah, we have been emailing and we have been, you know, instant messaging and da, da, da. so yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty special. That sounds really exciting, especially for a very first internship. You get to right. see, you know, just from, just from being the, the feet on the ground when the artists are coming through and whatever events or parties they might have going on. If you just say, hey, I'm here, you know, if you guys are looking for a place to grab dinner after the show or if you're looking for a place to go out, you know, right. your guy, just, just let me know. I can, exactly. I, I can point you in the right direction. And then just by doing that, it opens up the door like, oh, you know what, Brian, you know, come, come, meet, come meet everyone. Come meet mm -hmm. the family. Be a part it of does. us. It, it's, a, it's a game changer um, for you to be so young and be in the industry. You really feel like, oh, wow, I, I'm in the industry. I'm an industry person. You know, like it's, it's cool. Yeah. So I always recommend to, to young uh, folks that want to get into music. Those college internships are key, you know, and a lot of times the the networks that you'll develop from that will help you much later on in life. For example, the, at the time, the person who was the boss of us as internships or as interns, um, I still keep in contact with her. She's out here in LA now as well. Um, we've worked on a couple of things, which is amazing. Uh, Cause yeah, she's, killing it now so yeah those those introductions are very very important and the crazy part about that even the other interns that were in the program in different places um i ended up meeting one of them became one of my best friends the other one came a very very close contact one of the guys was in my wedding you know like it's 
it's crazy how that worked out. But yeah, it was it was it was very special. Sounds like an excellent first internship, first exposure to like the real world of what music is like, right? Especially when you start to see like behind (laughs) the scenes, all the marketing, like the hand passing out handbills and flyering. Yeah, the handbills. My 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 dorm room was like littered with all these random CDs and posters and. You know, I, I would have to try to figure out ways to get rid of all this merch. <laughs> so, yeah. That's cool. So let's fast forward for a second. And you went to Full sale after you'd finished at Howard, right? Right. So you moved out. To, I think Full sales in Florida, right? Full sales in Orlando. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that a decision that you made in in one of your last years in university that you said, you know what, I want to go and I want to learn about audio production. I want to learn more about the, the technical side of the mm-hmm. record business. That's exactly what it is. I would say my junior year, I started beginning to figure out like, okay, let's see what this graduation look like, you know? Um, and I know for a lot of the jazz guys, it's, you know, oh, move to New York and, you know, try to get signed. But that's such a crapshoot, man. And I knew to be super honest, I knew that performing for me would have been a Hail Mary. Like, I'm, I wasn't one of the best singers in our department. I knew it. I knew it. It was just like a real honest moment. Like, I love it and it's fun, but you have to have something else to offer. So I said, I've been learning about this school um, and also going back to uh, the interns, one of uh, the interns that I had been in a very good communication with, he went and I had talked to him about it. Like, how was it? Did you like it? You know, what do you feel about it? He was like, yeah, it's great, man. And whatever, whatever. So he was a big part of that as well. Um, So yeah, I ended up, uh, (laughs) I ended up going because I wanted to strengthen, you know, like I said, I just wanted to bring more to the table. Right. No, that's a very good perspective to have, especially to be honest with yourself at what, like 20, 21 years old saying, right. you know, I'm good. I'm having a great time. But mm-hmm. if I were to rank myself against, you know, the hundred other people that would be in my shoes, moving to New York, trying to do the exact same thing, who's going to get signed, right? If only 10 yeah. of us are going to get signed, how, how likely are my chances? And yeah, especially senior year when, you know, all of your friends are like business majors and communications majors. And you're hearing them say, oh, man, when I when I get out, I got a job offer for da, da, da. I got a job offer. And you're like, oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> whoops. What do I tell my parents? Uh, yeah, it's so a they thing. Must, they must have been happy to hear that you're that you want to continue your education. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean. They weren't, <laughs> maybe not. You know what I mean? They weren't not happy. It's just they were like, "Shoot, man, this is how much is this? <laughs> how much is this gonna cost?" Yeah, they were definitely glad that I wanted to, and they were very supportive the whole way. You know, um, and they they said the same thing. Like, all right, cool. If you need to beef it up, cool. What were some of the things that you learned at Full Sail that you you know are are there any skills that you learned there that you find that you still use today? Full Sail was so interesting because it was a one-year program for me. It was in and out. You were in class five, oftentimes six days a week. Um, I'm glad that I went when I did. Uh, I went after getting a bachelor's, so I had already been a little older. I was about 22 at the time. A lot of the kids that were down there were fresh out of high school, 
I did not know that was a thing. And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm the old guy in class at 22. What? That was weird. (laughs) But um, but the things that I learned in undergrad transferred at like, for example, I know I didn't even have to take the music theory class because I already had a bachelor's in music. So that was cool. But also the way that I studied the, the level of focus that I would attack these uh, classes with that a lot of that was better. But one thing I think that was great about Full Sail is I learned then how to use my personality to really open certain doors. Like I would, uh, I would end up, I got a job while I was down there working at the bookstore uh, for the school. Um, Cause everyone literally has to go through that bookstore to get their books for the, for the semester or for, you know, whatever that month is. Right. And I would end up meeting a lot of people by working through the bookstore, but also I would uh, end up getting certain opportunities from meeting high level people. Like I knew like, okay, you probably should talk to career development because they have a department down there and me working with them ended up being, you know, part of the reason that I got my first job when I was here in LA. So um, I learned definitely how to network down there. I learned how to just, you know, use my personality once again, because you, you're, it's all about self-discovery. Colleges, you know, you're learning, what do I like? What do I not like? How am I? Hopefully that's what you're learning. How am I as a person? What things do I need to work on or whatever? So in addition to what I was learning, um, I was learning about myself more than anything else. Um, but and it, and it yeah, sounds it, like you went in with a lot more of a plan, right? Because you're coming out of college and yeah. the way that you just described, you know, I got a job at the bookstore, but not because it was anything to do with the books. It was, you just knew it was a high traffic area where yeah. you meet a lot of people. People are going to know who you are. So then when you walk in somewhere, someone's going to recognize you or, or you could just stop and chat with someone in career development, like you said, yeah. and you mm-hmm. foster these really good relationships. Yeah, good it, it was a thing, man, because when I got down there, uh, in addition to that, I would work, uh, I almost forgot about this too, because man, I had, I got to go back and look at some of those old resumes. But when I was down there, they used to also do a tour. Um, and the school tour at the time was like a big deal. Uh, I probably still is because they're showing off all of the amazing things that the school has to offer anywhere else. It's like, you know, whatever, Hey, there's the dorm, there's the whatever here. You're actually taking a small group of people and you're going from part to part. Like this is a SSL and this is a Neve board. They don't have this everywhere. Listen to how that sounds. Go in there and play with some of the buttons. Like you're doing all of that and you're answering questions. So that was a big part too. And the school recognized it. They were like, oh, wow, you're doing this too. And you're doing that. All right, cool. So it, it built, it helped me build rapport with the school, which was invaluable, honestly. So after studying there, what did you do? <laughs> after studying there, I did what any other musician would do, which is go home. <laughs> um, I, I went home for a couple months and it's so funny because that time at home is like, you know, when you watch a movie and you're watching the main character and they're just like in that montage phase, like kind of the Rocky phase where they're running up the stairs and they're training and doing all that. It was like that. But for me, it was, it was literally me at home trying to figure out right, what jobs are where. And I would keep applying the jobs while not being there. I would be at home in Alabama using my uncle's address for jobs in other states. 
and it would get like it was so frustrating and it would wear me out man it would it would be really tough so um eventually like while i was there i literally just had to kind of I had to readjust my whole thing because you go from four years of college where you can do whatever you want to do. You got the freedom da, 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 to going back home where your parents are like, all right, it's it's 1130. I'm like, yo, I'm just getting cranked up at 1130. <laughs> but so that that was a bit of an adjustment. But I also knew like you cannot stay here. You have to get out. And fortunately, my uncle was like, well, I have a room ready. So whenever you want to come out here, where, where did he live in Los Angeles? He lived here in LA. And that's how I was able to move. I was home for, I think about two months after I graduated from full sale. Um, and then he was like, all right, let's do it. And I said, Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> so what was your first job? This internship was with the company Buna Murray productions. Okay. Yeah, and they uh they're known for uh the real world, Bad Girls Club, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Project Runway, a list of others. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what were you doing there? Uh I started out as an, as literally as an intern. Um so you start out doing all, you know, the grunt work. Uh copy this, file the CDs, you know, all of the all of the busy work. But that busy work ended up literally showing me the ropes when it was time to copy a CD. Or excuse me, when it was time for me to copy the agreements, the contracts, I'm looking at the contracts, learning the vernacular, learning, oh, well, what does in perpetuity, what does worldwide mean? What does, you know, what are the terms? Why is there a dollar amount here? What's, what is a gratis license? What's the difference from that and a license that pays? Um, why are these people getting paid? And, you know, how does that work? Uh, you know, so I, I had to learn that. But I also learned in organizing the CDs. Oh, what's the name of that library? Oh, okay. Wow. They make a lot of music. Oh, they're one of the bigs. All right, cool. What about them? Oh, wow. They have a lot of stuff to, so you're learning all of that, you know, hopefully. (laughs) Um, yeah. So did you, were you able to turn this internship into a full-time job or did you? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I got my job. That's, uh, I interned with them for, I can't remember the amount of time, but ended up getting promoted from an intern to a music coordinator. And I worked as a coordinator for a couple of years, ended up uh, eventually, like I said, getting uh, music supervisor credit <laughs> before, I, before I left. So, yeah. That's great. So you, so, so you, you got onto IMDb with a music supervisor credit. And- <laughs> yeah, man. It, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, that's how, that's actually how I started my IMDb. Like if you go on there, all, all of the shows and stuff that I was coordinating on, um, I think I loaded a lot of that stuff up. So, yeah. Because the difference in what I did then versus what I do now, like if people look at the IMDb, they'll see that, oh, he worked on TV shows um, versus working in trailers where realistically you don't credit trailers. You know what I mean? Like I I can't, I don't think there's a way for me to credit the trailers that I've worked on. So, uh, so yeah, at least it's it's good to have something up. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you know, you'd been there for a few years I, and you know what what sparked you wanting to leave Boone and Murray Productions? Um well for one uh, there was a situation where I I had gotten let go because just being able to to keep keep certain staff on and you know I think I at the time I was like one of the few that had to get had to get laid off so 
it was like one of those things where it was a surprise, but it needed to have happened because it was like, but you had wanted to do other things. Like I had already been applying to other places anyway. Um, and they were like, and you know, my boss fortunately at the time was very good about, you know, it's not because you're not capable. It's just because we can't keep. If, if it right. was your fault, you say, okay, well, what can I learn from this? If it wasn't your fault, right. you say, okay, well, what can I learn from this? <laughs> right, 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 right. And and that's really the, the most important takeaway from that situation is what can I, I know what I learned, what can I do better the next time? Or how can I not, you know, to not let the mental wear you down, not get uh, run down by those things. So, yeah. So you've, you've spoken about working in trailers, you know, I, I want to fast forward a little bit to, you know, how did you end up getting your job at Disney and working in trailers there? Oh man, it, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a hell Mary, honestly. After I had left, you know, uh, Buna Murray, I was kind of looking around for different opportunities and, um, I ended up at another trailer house. Like I said, I mentioned the company trailer park. I ended up over there because at the time, one of the employees, you know, was taking a couple vacations. I had interviewed there two years before and I tried to keep in touch with people that I interviewed with. And uh, one of the guys remember, you know, and was like, oh yeah, you know, you did reach out. By the way, somebody's going on vacation. Would you be able to pop in as a temp? And I'm like, Yes, please. And as a result of me working there, because I think at the time the person went on a couple trips, so they were gone for a while. I came in and temp for like a week. They were gone again, came back and temp for another week. So they're like, oh, this person gets it. I ended up getting brought in over there. And I think as a result of me working there and learning that trailer side, especially on such a ridiculously high level, um, that opened the door for me to eventually make it to Disney, you know? So when I applied to Disney, um, they were like, we see that you've worked at trailer park. I was like, yeah, I did. Um, and there were a ton of people at Disney that had worked prior at a uh, trailer park as well. So that was amazing. It was amazing to see how working at a company can, can literally open doors for other things later on, later on down the road. So at trailer park, you were, were you, were you a music supervisor there? Uh, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing where I started out as a, a music coordinator okay. and ended up, <laughs> ended up uh, working my way up to a supervisor. Cool. Which is great. Cause you weren't even there for two years, right? You were there just, just shy of two years, I think. Right, right, right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. and, and to be there, man, you're working. And the crazy part about working there is you're literally working with every studio in town. You know, we were working with Disney, we were working with Fox, Paramount, Lionsgate, you know, you name it. They were in, and on both sides, there was the theatrical side and then there was the TV side. So, you know, you're doing all of this marketing for so many different projects. It, it was overwhelming at first. Like I, I always joke with the wife, like, man, the first night that I came home, uh, I had, I saw cue sheets in my nightmares, like literally, like I woke up like, oh man, I forgot to wait. That couldn't have been a thing because you were asleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming, but eventually you get used to the incredibly fast tempo. Cause I know I always 
tell people, I think when it comes to certain things, there's film. Film has a speed, but film is a lot more drawn out. It takes a lot longer. And then there's TV, which is faster than film. It's it's a lot faster because things have to be done in a shorter amount of time. And right. then there's trailer. And trailer is insanely fast. Like the turnaround time on the projects that we're working on is it's ridiculously quick. Like we have to have music. Usually when I reach out to people, I'm like, Hey man, I need stuff yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah. So what are some of the projects that you've worked on at Disney? Right after I started, I ended up working on black Panther, which was crazy. Uh, we worked on black Panther. I've really great film by the way. I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, black Panther, Incredibles two, frozen two, uh, both of the Avengers projects, uh, meaning both of the last two, uh, so Infinity War and Endgame, the last two Star Wars projects. Matter of fact, that was literally the first project. The first week that I got to Disney, I think that following week, um, we ended up having a big meeting with the director, Ryan Johnson, who uh, you guys might know from, uh, if you're a fan of his, he did Looper back in the day. He did Last Jedi. And most recently he did Knives Out. Great film, amazing director. I- I'm a big fan of his work. Um, so that was wild. Uh, yeah, the, the last two um, Star Wars films, uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, the Mandalorian on Disney Plus, uh, a couple of Disney Plus projects too. Lady and the Tramp. We worked on the trailer for Lady and the Tramp, and uh, that was actually my wife singing on the trailer. So oh, that wow. was insane. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, it's been. Did, you, it's been did crazy. you set that up? Sorta. The stars aligned. I can't solely take credit for it, but um, I know we were going in a direction, and the heads that uh, you know that have to see the projects. They wanted us to consider something else. And when I heard the direction that they might want to try, uh, we worked with one of our uh, one of our trailer houses because we we work with certain companies that specialize in trailer music. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned to them, like, you know, hey, maybe we can try this or something. And um, and yeah, they ended up getting her to sing on it. And it literally it, it's it's a Hail Mary. But that is my favorite project because that's the whole house working on the same thing (laughs) that sounds really exciting you know you talk a lot about these hail marys and the stars aligning but you know it's really you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to land these things if if you weren't the same driving force at every step you know you make your own stars align Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, like I, for sure. Right place, right time, right? <laughs> right, I get right. It. I get it. Yeah. That it, it's, it's both. Of course, there's always that ingenuity to just kind of keep doing whatever you can to push things forward. Um, there's luck involved. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of luck involved because for what happens on at any part of music supervision, I think a lot of people think you are the end all, the be all, the final voice. No, you're not. You have to collaborate. You have to be willing to collaborate. If it's on the TV side, you're collaborating with showrunners and producers. If it's on the film side, you're collaborating with the director. If it's on the trailer side, you're collaborating with, you know, producers and, you know, whoever the client may be. You know what I mean? So uh, there's a lot of collaboration that happens. And the more people that have to put eyes on it, the greater chance that somebody has a different opinion. 
It's just it's part of the job. And I always tell people, they're like, no, I know good music. I'm like, yeah, but are you easy to work with? And do you take things personal? Because that's really that's really what it is as a music supervisor. You can't take things personal. Yeah, I really, really think this song will fit. Yeah, but I want to try this song and say it. That song sucks. But if you want to try it and fail, cool. I'll keep the song on the back burner because I know it works. You know, that song didn't work after all. Good. Here's the song that I initially presented. You know, like you, you have to, you have to have a, a thick skin and you also have to plan ahead. Organization, I think is really the most important part of, uh, of what anyone, uh, of any supervisor and their job. So how do you stay organized? Uh, it goes back to college. I know that, um, I like seeing things being easy to find. Like I have to find things quickly and easily. So on my, on my computer that I'm on right now, I have certain folders designated for projects, you know, and I know that's definitely a thing. Um, I also split sometimes certain folders like, all right, here's my stuff that's unreleased. Here's this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff. I like to split stuff by emotions. That's a thing. Um, so it, it comes down to that. It comes down to using whatever tools you have, you know? Um, and when I say tools, I mean, sometimes it's websites and sometimes it's search engines through, you know, music libraries. So that's the thing too, but I will use whatever I can to keep things easy to find. Um, and sometimes that's on the actual web pages and sometimes it's hidden notes. Like I know at the end of every day, I can, I, have I still use post-its because I'm I'm that guy. I like to write some stuff out by hand just to say what I have to do the next day, whatever I can to just uh <laughs> to kind of keep everything flowing seamlessly because if not stuff will slip through the cracks. Have you ever made any big mistakes in your career that you can think of? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, you show me a person that hasn't, and I'll show you somebody that's yeah, probably if you, lying. If you told me no, I would have called you a liar. I would have said no way. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like, it's we're human. Like, it's it's natural. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. One one internship that I didn't mention is because I didn't get it. Um, there was a producer once upon a time that I was uh, that I wanted to work for. Um, he was a pretty big big producer, uh, especially on the Latin side. And I had been in communication with this guy. He was like, oh yeah, man, you know, um, we'll have you in and, you know, let's try it out. So he called me and was like, all right, I need you to pick up someone from the airport. All right, cool. No problem. He gives me their information. And I said, all right, cool. What time do they have to be wherever? He's like, they're there at this time. So this is here in LA. So I leave my house and I go to the airport. And then I realize when I'm there, I don't have their phone information. I don't have a number for them. I, and I know what they look like, sort of, I think. They know what I'm driving, but I don't have any way of getting in touch with them. So I'm there for like 45 minutes or so after I should have picked them up, looking around like, where are these dudes? They eventually get in the car. And so, um, you know, we're like, yeah, sorry for the the break and everything, whatever. They get in our car and it was my uncle's car at the time. Uh, and so we're driving on the freeway in L.A. traffic and in the middle of traffic, the car shuts off. And I'm like, 
oh yeah, I can't let them know. Like I'm, I'm slowly easing my foot on and off the gas as if the car is still moving. Cause we're in traffic. So they don't know. And eventually I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. This is perfect. The car is not working right now. This is amazing. And they're having a conversation, not knowing that the car is not working. So eventually what I did was try to merge in the emergency lane. And as I'm trying to get over, I try to get over to like right to the lane to get in the emergency lane. And a humongous SUV is flying behind us and he slams on the horn. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm about to get in a wreck. So I'm doing two things. And in my mind, I'm like doing the itinerary, like I'm going to mess up my uncle's car. He loves this car. So this is terrible. Um, I'm definitely not getting this internship. I hope that dude in the back seat doesn't have to go to the hospital because that truck is it's humongous. It's gonna it's gonna fold this car in half. And I'm doing all of this like within the span of a split second. And fortunately the truck stopped like right before it got to the car. I was able to get to the emergency lane. I didn't even look up at the driver. I just kept my eyes at the steering wheel, like, this is it. This is it. And eventually, you know, I played around with the car, but I'll never forget dude who's in the back seat he uh <laughs> like he was so terrified and in this nice lovely spanish accent he goes uh, i sheet myself and i was like he's <laughs> like yeah man i don't i don't blame you yeah and the rest of the ride was so quiet and it did smell because he really did he really did poop oh himself. he actually did he did he really did. Because, I mean, imagine you're in a car and you hear a SUV coming behind you, slamming on the horn. Like, and you're, ah! you're going over, you're, you're trying to merge about like two lanes, right? Because if you're going to count. I'm trying to merge hurt. two lanes. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to merge two lanes. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, the car didn't hit me. Needless to say, I didn't get that internship. But a couple things could have been avoided on my end, like just making sure you had the checklist, uh, making sure that the car would have been okay. You know, because he even asked me, he was like, yo, is your car going to be all right? Because when I was trying to crank it up, it's like, oh, it's cool, man. It'll work. Trust me. It does this all the time. Yeah. And that day, the car just did not want me to get that internship. Whoops. It is. Changed the complete trajectory of my career. It did. But it's for the best. So I've got a couple other questions just before we wrap up. My first question is about independent artists. You know, how, how can they attract more attention or stand out of the crowd if, let's say, they wanted to be featured in a, in a trailer? Okay. Um, there are always two answers when it comes to indie artists uh, getting licensed for anything, whether it's trailers, TV shows, films, etc. First and foremost, I always say it's the sound. We listen to a lot of music all day. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff I get from indie peeps, the production value might not necessarily be there. Um, and if the production value isn't there, you know, I can't play a song in a trailer or a show or whatever if it's not better than what I would get from either a library or a publisher or a sync house or all of these other people. And I know a lot of artists listen at that and say, there's no way I can compete. That's not true because I know that technology is so good. Now you're able to make a fully like a well done, clean sounding record in your bedroom. Like it's, it's doable now. So 
I think part of it is having strong production value, having a sound that is unique, not weird or strange, but something that just stands out. It shouldn't sound like every other record. It shouldn't sound generic. It should have some identifiable quality. And you know why that matters? It matters because when you're watching a show, and you hear a song and you're like, oh, man, that song is cool. Yeah, because it stood out even on the show. And imagine it had to beat out so many other songs in order to get used to fit whatever that moment is. So I always say it has to have that. Um, it has to have some type of quality that makes it memorable, you know, like and, and to fit an emotion. Sometimes people just make songs, which I get. But if the song speaks to an emotion, that's where sync ability comes in man this song feels sad man this song feels happy man this song feels you know like a fight is about to happen oh they're about to get to fighting oh they're about to go to a party oh man somebody's dying you know it has to fit some type of emotion so i think that's one part of the coin the other part of the coin is this is why people have pitch people you know i think some supervisors just do not many most supervisors just aren't in a position to listen to unsolicited stuff because they get so much of it like every day i am getting on on just linkedin by itself it's hundreds hey man listen to this hey man listen to this hey man listen to this and i can't I'm lucky that i got to you <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> so like, I try to look at it and I look at what the message is, but you know, for submissions, cause this wasn't a regular submission, obviously, right. but, um, it, it can be, it's overwhelming to us and there's no off day. Like it's Saturday. And I know if I open my, you know, my inbox, there are going to be people, Hey man, listen to this, listen to this. Like that's, that's part of the job. But this is why people have people to pitch on their behalf because those pitch people can say, no, you should not pitch that song. No, that song wouldn't work for anything. This is the one that you should pitch. Oh man, I didn't think about that. Yes, pitch this one. And they already have relationships with a number of music supervisors because it is all about the relationships. And I know the next question likely is, well, how do we cultivate those relationships with music supervisors? Sometimes it's a matter of meeting you know, doing these face-to-face meetings and meeting at events when the world opens back up. Um, it's, you know, going to these networking events and these conferences and seeing these people and talking to them directly. That's a way. But even then, you know, naturally, I think it's easy for people to rely on the pitch people so that they have a way of, of, uh, of doing quality control. You know, let's say somebody from Howard University that you mm-hmm. went to college with, great great artist has happened hits you up and says, you know, Brian, like I think that I have a really good track that can be put in a movie or in a a trailer. And uh, can you help me do that? And the answer is most likely going to be no, because there's like what you're looking for is going to be so narrowed down for each scene. Right. And if they don't fit the bill for any of that, then there's nothing really that you're able to do. And you yeah. probably also have to get buy-in from other people on the project as well. Well, it's not so much the buy-in. Like for me, I, I want to know first and foremost, what is the song doing? Like how does the song fit in anything? You know, and this this goes even beyond the trailer side. This is for, for everything. Like does the song have sync ability? You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, if it is someone that I went to school and that happens, which I, I'm fine with, like it's, I naturally feel a little bit more kinship to those individuals, but even still like a song has to, like, I can't just 
throw their stuff in there because that's that's my rep too. Like I have to keep good rapport with my editors and with my producers and all of the people that I have to work with. So I can't just, you know, throw a solid. Like it has to be something that I am willing to say, this fits so much better than anything else that I've heard. This is it, you know, whatever, whatever. And honestly, that's why I started doing, uh, that's why I do sync consulting <laughs> on the side for that very reason, to help people get their material to a place where it is more syncable and it is, you know, it has more quality to, to stand out. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a personal question. You said that you wanted to be a producer. Is this something that you can still work towards? I don't know if you're allowed to say this because you work currently in your current <laughs> job at Disney. That's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's nothing that I hide from people, honestly. Like, I'm pretty, I I regularly speak about the music I like and the music I don't. Um, And with my wife being a singer-songwriter, that's literally kind of my pipeline. Like, I work with her on on her projects and everything that she has going. So that's definitely an end, you know. But, yeah, I still... uh, that's definitely something that I still kind of push toward, you know, um, and I'm grateful that, uh, you know, that's why I like doing, like I said, the consulting side of it so much because I get to keep that side of it fresh as well. Um, like when I can listen to a song and give production notes, you know, like, oh, maybe you should change this. And why is this verse here? Why is this chorus there? You know, so I, it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that's still on my mind, you know. And what kind of projects would you like to be a producer on? Good ones. <laughs> I mean, you know, I it, like I think just like any other producer, it's hearing a song and figuring out how you can make it different or how you can make it better or how you can make it stand out. Right. So it's not so much specific to the types of projects as much as it is what the artist is trying to do. Like what is their voice and helping them find their voice, helping them pull out the best sound that they can, because that's the, that's the funny part about music supervision. So many people come from different walks of life. Like there are a lot of people who are music supervisors now that were once DJs, you know, a lot of, a lot of top guys used to be DJs back in the day. They used to be A&Rs. They used to be, you know, like, they used to be radio hosts, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it's not far-fetched to make the leap from one side to the other, regardless. I think music supervision, it's so similar to music producer because so many people look at it like, I got that. I can, I can do that. Oh, I can sit and make beats. But I look at music production the same way. A lot of the older guys did, like a Phil Spector or a Quincy Jones or, you know, or, or any of these people that are in the studio controlling all the aspects. Like, let's look at the arrangement. Let's look at the instrumentation. Let's look at this. Instead of just making the beat, like making a beat, I know that's a cool thing and so many people love it. But uh, I look at it like, let's bring out the best performance in an artist. You know, like that's really the biggest difference. You know, that's what separates, you know, the like these David Fosters and even a lot of the young guys, man, that, that are doing that on a very big level, you know, it, it makes a difference. You know, Brian, I just, I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> hey, what's going on everyone. I just wanted to take a quick moment and shout all of you guys out who have been tuning into the podcast week after week. 
especially those of you who have taken, you know, 30 or even 60 seconds out of your day to write me personally on any of these socials on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and really, really, really those of you who have left me a review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. Thank you for sharing your love and expressing how each episode has positively affected your path. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring people up, give them great resources. So thank you so much. This is the kind of support that's keeping me going. Lastly, if there's anybody that you know that has an inspirational story that would maybe make a great guest, please reach out to me on any of our platforms and I'd be happy to get in touch with them. Again, thanks everyone. Much love and stay safe.